The story of Easter was completely unexpected by everybody. There was no one standing at the tomb on Sunday morning going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Oh, when's it going to happen? There was, it, was, it wasn't going like that. The story of Easter, the Sunday morning of Easter was completely and totally unexpected. No one could have predicted it. Well, that is except for Jesus, of course, because, you know, he had. Uh, repeatedly, he tried to predict it. He tried to tell his disciples that this was going to happen. He, he tried to let them know it was on the way, and they just never really got it. I want to show you this passage from the book of Luke. It says this, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Keep going. He says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> Duh. Of course they wouldn't know what he's talking about. Jesus, right then, just told them that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be killed, and that on the third day he was going to rise again. Now, wait a minute. Hang on a second. People don't do that. You see, they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, but in order for a dead person to be raised from the dead, a miracle worker needs to raise the person from the dead. And so if Jesus were to die, then he clearly wouldn't be the miracle worker. There wouldn't be any miracle worker left to raise him from the dead. So as a result, Jesus must have been speaking metaphorical. It wasn't a real thing. It was a metaphorical thing and so we can just ignore it because that's the way the disciples dealt with anything they didn't understand. Whoop! Right over the top of their head. That's the way they dealt with it. If they didn't understand it, they just forgot it. In fact, we know from the other gospels, from Matthew and from Mark at least, that at the very moment Jesus stopped talking, the very next thing that happened is a guy named John and a guy named James asked their mom to talk to Jesus and ask Jesus if the two of them could be the number one and number two in Jesus' kingdom when he was going to reign as king. So here's the deal. Just picture this. Jesus says, I'm going to die. Jesus, can I sit next to you on your throne? Now, you and I are like Christian-y people, and we've been to church like before, and so when we think of Jesus' throne, we think of something in heaven. And so we're like, oh, well, these guys, James and John, are asking to sit next to Jesus' heavenly throne. No! The only reason they were following Jesus is that they thought he was going to be the king like the king right then. And so they're like, Jesus, when you come into your throne tomorrow, can I sit at number one and can he be at number two or vice versa? By the way, my mom's asking. You know, that's just, these guys didn't get it all. Jesus was predicting this and they didn't get it. And of course they wouldn't get it. Because up until this point, everything they knew about Jesus was everything they wanted to know about Jesus. Everything they thought about Jesus was just what they had been hoping for. 
They'd been longing for a very long time for a savior who would come, who would establish a kingdom, and he would liberate them from the Roman oppression. They had been wanting that kind of a king, and they were eager for it. They were waiting for it, and so they saw in Jesus everything that they were waiting for. They saw the strongest man they had ever known. And they had good reason for it. They'd spent three years with him and they had seen time and time again evidence of Jesus being the strongest ever. There was a time uh, a few years earlier where Jesus was at a wedding and the host of the wedding runs out of wine. And it's like, dude, seriously? You ran out of wine. How can you have a wedding if you're not getting the people drunk? I mean, there's just, it was just that kind of environment back then. Now see, here's the deal. They ran out of wine, which means it had all been consumed. And so when you have a lot of people consuming all there is, a few of them gonna be a little tipsy. But Jesus isn't playing the role of the guy pointing his finger at everybody. He's not standing around saying, well, you drank too much, and you drank too much, and you drank too much. No, what Jesus does, he says, let's make some more. Bring me some water. And so they bring him some water and he makes wine. Now, that's a strength you haven't seen before. That's a strength no one had seen before. And by the way, listen, these people had already drunk all the wine that was available to them, and they said that Jesus' wine was the best. So if drunk people are saying that Jesus' wine is the best, you better believe it wasn't some grape juice that he was making. You better believe he was making the best wine, and by that point in time, it must have been some strong wine. See, you don't even know, but Jesus is the strongest man you could ever imagine because, see, he made the good stuff. He brought the good stuff to this party. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? I mean, seriously, he brings the party with him. Wherever you go with Jesus, you know you could really, you know, it could be a happening time. Who knows what he's going to do right now? Jesus displayed at that moment something stronger than they had ever seen before in their lives. Who wouldn't want to follow that? And then there was that time where Jesus was teaching in a house and the roof of the house started to disintegrate and they looked up and there was a guy up there with four of his friends and they lowered the guy on a mat right in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, dude, get up and walk. And the guy says, I'm paralyzed. Jesus said, I don't care. Get up and walk. And so, and so the guy gets up and walks. But before that happened, Jesus actually said something different to the man. He looked at the man. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. That was a strength those people had never seen before. You see, that guy hadn't sinned against Jesus, right? I mean, he was meeting Jesus for the first time then. It wasn't like he had sinned against Jesus. How does Jesus have the gall to say, your sins are forgiven? Only God does that kind of thing, you know? Only God says, your sins are forgiven. This was a strength they had never seen before. And Jesus is like, listen, I know what you're thinking, so here's the deal. If I say, get up and walk, and he does, will you believe that I have the power to also say, your sins are forgiven? They didn't answer him, so Jesus just kept going. And he said, dude, get up and walk. And he's like, all right. And so he does, he walks, he goes home, and now Jesus is looking around the rest of the room, and he's like, see? Yeah? That was a strength they'd never seen before. Who wouldn't want to follow a guy like that? A guy who has power? over birth defects. A guy who has power, the same power as God. 
Who wouldn't want to follow a guy like that? Oh, then there was the time where Jesus was on his way to heal a guy's daughter. She was sick, and he was on his way to heal the daughter. But as he's walking, a crowd is around him, and they're, they're kind of piling in on him. And this one lady reaches out, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. She's wasted all her money on all the doctors she can get. She has no recourse for any sort of help whatsoever. Last legs, last hope, absolutely nothing else in the world. She just reaches out, and she touches Jesus' cloak from a distance. And all of a sudden, she's healed. And Jesus knows it. He can feel it. He can feel that healing came out of his clothing into this woman, and she is healed now. And he says, who touched me? And everybody's like, everybody touched you. We're in a crowd right now. And he says, no, no, there's that one lady. She touched me. And she talks about her healing, and Jesus says, you've been healed. That's a strength no one had ever seen before that the man could just have an aura around him. Healing power could just be next to him. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Now, then, there, then there was that time where a soldier comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is sick. Can you come? Can you heal him? And Jesus says, sure. Uh, I'll go to your house. I got nothing else I'm doing right now. I like to heal people. Let's go to your house. And the soldier says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to have you enter my house but I'm a commander of an army and I know how authority works. I just say the word and other people make it happen. Jesus, you just say the word and it will be done. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like that before. Sure, he's healed. Then Luke does some research and he finds out that guy's servant was healed at that very hour that Jesus had said that. That's a strength no one has seen before. Who wouldn't want to follow the guy who can conquer time and space, who can heal at a distance? He can raise someone from sickness without even being in the room. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Then there was this, there was this time where uh, Jesus was asleep in like a boat, and then a storm came, and the wind starts blowing really hard, and it's rocking the boat, and the waves are coming along, and they're not just rocking the boat, they're actually crashing into the boat. I'm assuming there's probably some rain going on along with this storm. And here's Jesus just totally asleep in the boat, despite all the rain and the wind and the waves and whatnot. And, you know, of course, that's a strength you've never seen before, just being able to conk out and be like, I don't care what's happening around here. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to sleep through this storm. But the disciples are freaked out. They don't see that as strength. They see that as ignorance. And they're like, Jesus, we're all going to die. And they're probably thinking, you included. And so Jesus gets up. He looks around him. He feels the boat rocking around. He's like, dude, wind, I'm tired. I want to sleep. Can you just keep it down? And it does. That's a strength no one had ever seen before. People have been trying to predict the weather for a long time. Jesus just wakes up and shuts it down. He's like, no, 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 no. Calm weather. That's what we're going to do right now. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? You keep that guy with you wherever you go, and your picnics are always going to be great. I mean, think about it. You got as much wine as you could possibly want. The weather's going to be perfect. And there was this time where Jesus gets to the other side of the sea, you know? He's on the other side of the sea that they were crossing in this boat. And as he gets out of the boat, a man rushes up to him, a freaky, scary man. A man who lived in the cemetery right there. In fact, the townspeople were so scared of this man that they frequently would tie him up with chains. They would bind him up with chains, but that didn't bother him because he would just break them. He would just break out of the chains, and the people were just absolutely freaked out entirely at that. Anyway, this guy comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what's your name? And out of the man comes the voice of a crowd, and it says, we are legion, for there are many of us in this man. Please don't hurt us. That's a strength no one had ever seen before. 
Like these demons are totally terrorizing the whole town through this one man. And they run up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, just don't do anything to us, please. Just don't destroy us. Don't send us off to destruction. Let us leave this guy. Promise we'll go and we won't come back. Just let us go. How about in those pigs? Send us into the pigs. And Jesus is fine. Go into the pigs. And so they go. They leave the man. They, the man's now clean. The townspeople come out. They look at the man and they're now freaked out. Why? Because the guy who was freaking them out was just freaked out by Jesus. And so they're freaked out at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you got to get out of here. And he's like, all right, I'll go to another town. That's a strength no one had ever seen before. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Or then there was the time Jesus is on the side of a mountain, and he's got a crowd of people, like 5,000 men, however, women and, however many women and children, I don't know. But they're just surrounding him, and Jesus feels compassion for them, and he's like, I want to feed these people. See, I told you Jesus would be good for a picnic. Uh, he says, I want to feed these people. And he says to his disciples, what do we got? And the disciples say, well, listen, we got nothing. There's, there's this boy over here. His mom must have packed him a lunch because all these men here, they didn't, they didn't think ahead, as you do. But the guy here, this little boy, his mom must have packed him a lunch because he's got five loaves and he's got two fish. And Jesus says, that'll do. And so he takes it, he prays for it, he breaks it, he passes it out. And there's so much food that everybody eats to their fill and there are 12 baskets left over. That's a strength no one has ever seen before. Feeding 5,000 people with one boy's lunch? And who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Or, or then, immediately after that, Jesus sends his disciples across the lake to the other side again, and he's going to stay here and say goodbye to the people because he loves them. He's going to say goodbye to these people now that they're fed, and he's going to spend some time in prayer. But in the middle of the night, a storm comes up. And so Jesus sees out on the water that his disciples are now in trouble. And he says, I, I cared for these people. I need to care for my disciples. So he comes down the mountain, and he walks on the water. Now, I've been skiing before, and it's really nice to ski like when the weather's calm and clear and the water is smooth and everything. It's hard enough to ski when, uh, then, when the water is clear, but then when it begins to get a little choppy, you're doing a face plant in the lake pretty quickly. And it's not, it's not comfortable in anything, but here's Jesus, the first, the original barefoot skier with no boat, and he's in the middle of this wind and the waves thing coming, and he just walks right on through it, and the disciples see him, they're freaked out, and they're like, what is that? It looks like a ghost, and Jesus says, no, it's I. I am here. And he gets in the boat and everything calms down. They make it to the other side and the, the guys are freaked out and they're like, I've never seen a strength like this before. Who wouldn't want to follow this guy? And then there was that time where the Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus that they had caught in adultery. How do you, how do you catch just one person in adultery? See, the law had said that um, if a woman is caught in adultery, she should be stoned, and, and so should the man. Clearly, the law says this woman should be killed, but everybody who's part of this situation knows that there's something else wrong with this situation. And so Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He doesn't give a judgment based on the law. He doesn't even give a judgment based on grace. What he says is, Okay, whichever one of you has not sinned can throw the first stone. And one by one they leave. That's a strength no one had ever seen before. Standing right up to the religious leaders of the day and pointing your finger in their face and saying, you're wrong. 
and I don't even have to explain to you why. That's a strength no one had ever seen before. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? And then and there was that day that he got the report that his really close friend was sick. A guy named Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is sick, and Jesus didn't, from a distance, say, be well. And he didn't go to Lazarus' house to heal him. And he didn't take off his cloak and mail it so they could, you know, touch Lazarus with the cloak. Jesus just sat and waited. And a couple days later, he goes. By this time, Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are crying. Jesus makes it there. Four days late, he gets there. And Mary and Martha run up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus says, hold on. This is for God's glory. Take me to the tomb. It's over there. So Jesus goes over to the tomb. He sees where it is. He says, roll the stone away. They're like, no, he smells by now. We're not going to do that. Jesus says, roll the stone away. And they roll the stone away. And Jesus looks up to heaven. He says, Father, they need to know that you pay attention to me. Lazarus, I'm here, man. Come on out. And he does. He walks out shuffling with the bandages all around him from the burial. And Jesus says, get the wrappings off of him and feed him. The man hasn't eaten in four days. Duh, he's been dead. So Jesus says, go ahead and give him some food and nourishment. Clean him up. Take the wrappings off. He's Lazarus, same as before. (laughs) No one had ever seen a strength like that. Who wouldn't want to follow that guy? And then there was that day where Jesus said, I need a donkey, a small colt. Can you get me one? And they bring him one, and he gets on it, and he rides into Jerusalem. And then everybody's eyebrows raise because they know what's happening here. See, there was this Old Testament prophecy that said the king, the conquering king, the Messiah, the the promised one, the the chosen one, the one who was going to save the entire world, the one who was going to rescue the kingdom of Israel, this guy was going to enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Not a horse, those are used for war, but a donkey because that's a symbol of peace. And so he was going to be riding in on a symbol of peace into the city. Now that's a thing. You don't ride a victorious creature into to the city when you're taking the throne for the first time. And here, Jesus is riding on this donkey into Jerusalem. He's not yet king, but he's declaring, I've already done everything that needs to be done to be king. And so he's riding in, and everybody is super excited. They're thrilled. This is the strongest man they have ever seen. Some of the people are even beginning to believe that maybe, just maybe, he is actually God in the flesh. But most of the rest of the people, they're just like, well, at least he's the king, and he's the strongest king. We we've ever seen. And so he comes into the city riding on this donkey and everybody's going crazy. Hosanna, Hosanna to the promised son of David. And Jesus gets into the town. He gets into the city and everybody's so thrilled, so excited. And he gets off the donkey and he walks right into the temple. 
And back then in the temple, there were these courts. There's inner courts and outer courts. And there was the outermost court. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. And in that area, they had turned it into a shopping mall where you could buy any kind of animal you wanted for sacrifice. And you could exchange money. So you would come in with your Roman money and then you would exchange it for temple money. And in the process, the temple would shave a little bit off the top. But you could also buy some animals or whatnot. And there was only one problem. That was supposed to be the Court of the Gentiles. That was supposed to be the place where the Gentiles could pray. And Jesus sees that and he goes, nuts. He makes a whip and he starts cracking the whip over people's heads. He starts knocking tables over. He starts pushing the money off the tables. It's a mess. And people are like, I've never seen a strength like this before. It's just the wrong strength. See, Jesus said, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all the Gentiles. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, you missed the boat here on this one. Okay, so here's the deal, Jesus. Um, We have the religion of God taken care of. We're fine with the religion of God. Our problem is the government of God. The government of God doesn't exist here. You're supposed to be our king. Kings don't go to the temple. Kings go to the palace. Jesus, you're the strongest guy we've ever seen, but you need to keep riding. It's farther that way. And he gets out of the temple and he leaves. He goes to Bethany to hang out with Lazarus and Mary and Martha for a little while. And everybody who just was part of this massive parade is like, it's a strength we've never seen before. It's just the wrong strength. A couple days later, Jesus is having a meal with his followers and they're sitting in the room and Jesus gets up from the table. They're all ready to eat. He gets up from the table. He grabs a towel, takes off his cloak, grabs a towel, grabs a a basin, fills it with water and he starts washing their feet. And the people are like, we've never seen this before. This isn't strength. This is weakness. Who wants to follow a guy like that? After dinner, they go to the garden. And Jesus leaves his main group of disciples over here and he takes his three closest buddies, Peter, James, and John. He says, we're gonna go a little farther. So he goes over here and he says to them, kind of in secret, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What happened to the strong guy? See, this is, Peter, James, and John, they're seeing something in Jesus they've never seen before. They're seeing weakness. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Pray for me here. And he goes off a little farther, and these guys have already kind of lost interest. And so they just fall asleep. They pay attention a little bit. They hear a little bit of what he's saying, but then they fall asleep because what Jesus is praying over there, it doesn't make sense. He's like, Father, take this cup away from me. I don't want to have to go through this. But I will still follow your will, whatever it is. Who wants to follow that? And then the traitor comes. Judas comes with the temple guards. They show up. And Jesus doesn't do what a strong person does when a traitor shows up. Strong people fight or maybe run. But what Jesus does is he just walks right up. He lets this guy kiss him. He gives himself into the guards' control and they carry him away. And the disciples are standing there. Who wants to follow that? And they all run away. Peter follows at a distance. John goes into the temple courts because he has some connections inside the high priest's uh, sort of entourage. And so he knows a little bit more. Peter's out at the courts, but everybody else is just gone. They're just off somewhere. They've all just dispersed. Because here's the truth. Who wants to follow a guy like that? 
And so then Jesus faces the trial and keeps his mouth shut. And Jesus then is shuffled from Herod to Pilate to Herod to Pilate. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They mock him. They yell at him. They curse him. And he keeps his mouth shut. That's something all those religious leaders had never seen before. Weakness. So eventually they flog Jesus. And he barely looks like a human, so they hold him up in front of the crowd and they say, who do you want? Do you want your criminal back or do you want Jesus? And the crowd is like, who wants to follow that guy? Give us Barabbas, crucify him. And so they give Jesus a cross. He can't even carry his cross. The whole crowd sees something they've never seen before. Jesus weak. He is nailed to the cross. He's hanging on the cross. The people are taunting him. He saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? And then... He dies, naked and alone, abandoned. No one's around him. Mary and a couple of the other women are there. And Jesus' mother is there. John is there because Jesus had asked John to take care of his mom. And so John is there for the mom, but everybody else is gone. Everybody else is gone. I've been there. I know you probably have been there too. You know, everything is looking great. The hope of the world has finally come into your life and you're all super excited and you're optimistic and things are going smoothly. They're going in exactly the direction you hoped they would go. And then the phone call comes and you hear the words of tragedy and realize how weak your heart is. Or you're sitting there in the doctor's office and he says the words that you can barely make out because it's too hard to think about them. And in that moment, you realize how weak you are. There are any number of things that can happen. And you can be all hopeful and optimistic and then come crashing back into your own weakness. But the truth is that was Friday. And Sunday is still on the way. A stranger takes Jesus' limp and lifeless body and puts it in a tomb and clearly doesn't do a good enough job because the women on Sunday decide they're going to try to make it better. Luke tells us what happens on that morning. He says this. Let's put it up on the screen from Luke chapter 20. He says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Let's keep going. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Keep going. He says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, of course. Keep going. He says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened, wondering what had happened. No one believed it. 
on Sunday morning, an angel says he's not here, he's risen, and no one believes it. Why would you? You've got no reason to. Peter sees the linen, sees the tomb, it's empty. He leaves. He doesn't know what he's, he's going to do with it. And the women told all the other disciples, and they don't believe it. They're not sure what's going on. We find out some disciples just go ahead and leave town. They're walking on the way to another town called Emmaus. And here, it's just no one gets it. No one believes it. Why? Because, see, they were following a strong man. No one follows a dead king. It doesn't happen. So they had no hope. Except there was this one lady, Mary. See, she loved Jesus. Jesus was the strongest man she knew. There was a time that Mary was oppressed with seven demons at the same time. She's known as Mary Magdalene. She was oppressed by seven demons at the same time and Jesus comes into her life and he speaks a word and they're gone. And she loved him. And she's got nowhere else to go. So she lingers at the tomb. And while she's there crying, a man walks up to her. She thinks it's the gardener. I don't even know if she looks up. And he says, Mary, why are you crying? Well, he says, why are you crying? And she says, where have they taken him? If you have any idea where he is, just let me know. Just tell me so I can go to him. And then he says, Mary. And all of a sudden she realizes. She realizes that's the, that's the voice. That's the voice of the man who was stronger than anyone had ever been in her life. That's the voice of the man who had liberated her. That's the voice of the man that she loved. That's his voice. And she looks up at him and she sees him. And she doesn't see him as the strong man he was before. She doesn't even see him as the weak man he was a couple days ago. She sees him somehow stronger. And then Jesus goes on and he, he visits Peter. And he visits the other disciples. He finds himself, the disciples are in a locked room and Jesus just shows up in the middle of the room. And while he's in the middle of the room, he says, go ahead and touch me. Give me some food, I'll eat something. Go ahead and touch me. I'm real, I'm flesh and blood. I've actually come back, it's true. He goes, he meets a couple other guys as they're walking on that road to Emmaus. He caught them, he brought them back. And so then Jesus meets all these other people and finally, finally he meets 500 people all at the same time. All at the same time until eventually he meets a guy named Saul. We know him as Paul. And Saul, when he encounters Jesus, his life is changed. Because see, Saul knew the stories of the strong man who had done the miracles. And he knew the stories of the weak man who hung on the cross and died. And now he's looking in the face of the stronger one who has come back and has proven that he's alive. And Paul needed it. He writes, he writes these words in 2 Corinthians as he's talking about the strength that he needs in his life. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, that's the message of the resurrection. 
That's the message of the resurrection. The man who is stronger than anything walks through weakness so that he can be even stronger. The Apostle Paul would say, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and they would declare that they belong to him. That's That's what this whole thing is about. And the Apostle Paul says, I am not afraid of my weaknesses, because it's only through my weaknesses that I can experience God's strength. Listen, I don't like weakness. Who wants to follow that? I I don't like weakness. I I bet you don't either. And so we try to do all sorts of things about it. Number one, we try to pretend it doesn't exist. That's how we live most of our lives. We live most of our lives pretending that the weakness isn't there. And so we'll do sort of the things that we normally do. We get ourselves into a rhythm and get ourselves into a habit. But we always know there's something on the corner. There's something over the horizon that could prove our weakness. And we're afraid of that. We don't want that. We don't like weakness. We don't even want to get near it. And so what we do is since we can't totally ignore it, we hide it. And we cover it up with all sorts of other things. We buy insurance. Because I say to myself, if I have enough insurance, then it doesn't matter what happens, I'll be covered. We try to make more money. Because we feel like if I have enough money, then it doesn't matter what happens, I'll still be covered. Insurance is is my salvation when it comes to medical bills, and money is my salvation when it comes to a recession or anything else that's going on, and so I'll cover my, my weakness with all sorts of other things that make me feel strong. I will buy new locks. I will change my passwords. I will even practice those words that I'm going to say to that other person who really needs a talking to, because no one is going to make me feel weak anymore. Who wants to follow that? And then when it comes time and we realize there are some things that I just have no control over and I'm too weak to even address, then we take option three and we'll pray. And we'll say, God, it's you. You're the one who has to take care of this. I'm too weak. You're the one who needs to take care of this. God, I'm just giving this all to you. I've tried everything I've done. I've bought all the insurance. I've changed all my passwords. But God, you're the one that has to take care of this. I'm just going to bring this up to you. God, I've got the medical insurance, but I don't know how I'm going to deal with this diagnosis. And so God, I'm just going to bring it to you. God, this woman, I don't know what the deal is, but she wrote me this letter and she tells me she's trying to break up with me. And so God, I don't know how to deal with that. I'm just going to bring it all to you and I'm just going to give it to you and say, God, you take care of it. And then when God doesn't come through the way we want him to come through, he's just one more proof of how weak we are. And we don't like that. Because now God is part of the problem. Oh, listen. I want to tell you right now, it's time for us to stop pretending. It is time for us to stop pretending that things are okay. Stop pretending that I can cover stuff over with my own security blankets. It's time for us to stop pretending all these things. Listen, you don't need to pretend that they don't exist. It's time for you to just realize that this is God's gift to you. This is the meaning of the resurrection. When I'm weak then I'm strong. 
Because the God who raised Jesus from the dead is the God who wants to enter your life and give you the strength you need. He wants to take away the stuff that's in there and he wants to put in the stuff that is him. He wants to give you the strength you need from him. Listen, you need to embrace the only power in the world that comes through weakness. You need to embrace the power of Christ and his resurrection. The Apostle Paul would say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. What are you facing? Pain, hardship, frustration? He is stronger. He is stronger than your guilt. He is stronger than your grief. He is stronger than your irritation. He's stronger than your frustration. He's stronger than your fear. He's stronger than anything that you have ever faced or will ever face. So don't be afraid of your weaknesses. Don't be afraid of these things that remind you you're not who you want to be. Don't be afraid of these things. They are your gift from God to you. They are your gateway into the power of the resurrection. Because what's the worst that could happen? Death? He's already taken care of that. Listen, I want you to turn your life to Jesus today. I'm serious. I want you to hand over to him your weakness and more than that, even your sin. And I want you to receive from him his forgiveness and even more than that, his power. Today, I want you to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Nothing else matters. You are on top. Everything else is below. I want you to say that, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything that I am. And I want you to say, today, today, he is my Lord, my risen Lord. And I will sing praise to him. Thank you for listening to this message. We believe that God has a full and fulfilling life in store for you, and we want to help you live it. For videos, resources, and more, visit us online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com. And as always, we want to encourage you to plug into a Christ-following community of faith wherever you are. Life is a journey, and no one should ever walk alone.